Here's the thing about German movie, why I made the curator's pick of the Hollywood French movie. What's going on, people? Welcome to another great episode, episode 29 of Hashtag TFR Podcast Live Presents Observations by Crazy D with my special guest host, my sister Tanya M. Congress. So this is episode 29 of the film review, TFR Podcast Live, OB, Crazy D, with my special guest, Tanya M. Congress. And as soon as she comes back in, we will get started with the show. But first, let's say we want to shout out to all the people who are watching us on Periscope, Vimeo, FB and the Film Review Life channel. That's right, the Film Review Life channel. Go there, subscribe, 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 subscribe. Press like automatically on this video and share this video. Share this video on all the platforms that we are on. Tag your people because we are bringing information because the title of the show is A Work Visa and the disenfranchisement a work visa and the disenfranchisement okay i see that tanya is back in so how's your morning going it is going fine can you hear me cool you know what had happened was just before you brought me on i had to run and do some real quick tripped over the headphone cord ripped it out of the p uh out of the cpu and uh everything was on the floor so when you're coming into this particular format the vimeo you're um you have to go have it plugged into your unit before you come in if you try to plug it in after you're already in it doesn't pick up the mic so i figured that out but uh other than that <laughs> uh, we're doing uh, pretty well this morning considering the circumstances that we're in and have had um, you know right now I have I was cutting up some fruit so I have me in my bowl here let me see can I put it so y'all can see in my bowl here I have some sliced nectarine some ginger and some mint to uh, chew on on top I have me some Add me some celery juice, fresh squeezed celery juice right here. And of course, I have my coffee, which more than likely I'm not going to get to drinking all of that during this because this is probably going to fill me up. But I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, I had a very enjoyable time listening to you and Tracy last night on hashtag TFR podcast live. Um, going over the different movies and um, you guys do such an awesome job with that and you go over all these different types of movies even the classics I think yesterday you were going over Betty Davis she is a phenomenal actress Uh, but today I mean you just said uh, this is episode 29 I can't believe 
that we've done 29 broadcasts already. And you guys, if you have not had the opportunity, I know I invited some people this weekend who uh, had some commentary on one of my posts. So I had invited them uh, to come to the, um, oh my goodness. I had invited them to come on with us today. Hopefully they'll call in and share their views, um, you know, regarding the president and all of that. And, uh, you know, but we've had 29 broadcasts and you guys, I'm telling you, uh, I'm not, I'm not being self, uh, um, you know, and grandizing, but this has been some information that you cannot afford not to know, particularly if you're a black American or American black, uh, that's considering voting. Um, you need to know who your different sides are. You need to know these militant groups that support each side. You need to know what type of racists, um, that are, are here as candidates, um, and who you're voting for. If you're going to go on and vote, that's on you. Uh, we're sitting this one out as we've said numerous of times, but go back and look at the previous broadcast. You can't afford to miss any of that information. You can't even reasonably vote or make any kind of decision without the information in these broadcasts. So with that being said, how you been doing today? How you doing? Hey, the sun is shining. We're in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hey, what 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 could be better except for no COVID nineteen? That would be great, and so that we would right. have had a summer that right. was just jumping. Anyway, phone lines are open two one three nine four three thirty three fifty eight two one three nine four three thirty three fifty eight. The chat is open on YouTube on the Film Review Live channel. Just go to the Film Review Live channel, search. Hashtag TFR Podcast Live OB Episode 29, EP 29, and it will come right up and you'll be able to comment right there or comment on the chat in the FB and we will read your comments on air or again, 213-943-3358. And if you love what we do here at Hashtag TFR Podcast Live OB, Go over to Cash App, dollar sign, TFR Podcast Live. That's hashtag TFR Podcast Live. And drop and smash a few ducats, some, some dollars on that account, right? We surely do appreciate you. So let's get to the topic. Let's get to the topic, right? Topic. We take our audience on a journey through images of the disenfranchisement American blacks have faced since being set, quote unquote, free in 1865 and the passage of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution of the United States of America. From behind closed door deals to legislation to meeting on the Negro problem to the way local governments handle American blacks. We are on the hamster wheel and the way to get off is to know what we've been up against from the past to the present. 
Let's discuss. The phone lines are open. 213-943-3358. Make sure you check that phone line. Make sure that you can hear me talking. Tanya, you know, we have to make sure that that's going on. And we want to shout out to some people who we see are watching. We see Aaron is watching. Kimberly is watching. And Jackie is watching. We want to say good morning to you and stay tuned smash the share button because we are bringing information and you know sometimes people don't want to necessarily read something but sometimes people are visual learners so we're so how much better is it to have audio and visual to show you thumbs up all right uh, to show you what's going on. So 213-943-3358. So before we begin, we need to have talk about something and we're going to incorporate this more into the show here. We're going to be talking about things that make your body work, make your mind work. And these are the things that you should implement into your diet our opinion our observations we are not doctors we are not lawyers but these are just observations things that we use that help us especially during this time of covid and beyond hopefully we will be able to say one day that there will be a beyond so we're going to start with magnesium this is a post that my sister put up. And so I'm gonna let her talk about magnesium, the master mineral and what it does for you because this is starting to put the rubber to the road of what we're gonna be talking about today, which is a work visa and the disenfranchisement. Uh, you know, the magnesium, uh, thanks to you and Tracy uh, for bringing that back to my remembrance, because when I was um, diagnosed with um, heart disease, um, one of the things that they put me on was magnesium oxide. Now, that's only by uh, prescription only, and it's given to heart patients. I no longer need that, but uh, the magnesium mineral itself is very, very, very important. And probably they put that to heart, give that to heart patients because they're deficient in that mineral, which contributes to them having a heart problem. All right. Uh, so the magnesium, it says it's the master mineral. And look at what it does is it, it, it supports healthy blood sugar balance. So probably diabetic patients are on it too. Optimal circulation and blood pressure. Yep. Uh, cellular energy production, a calm nervous system, pain relief and released muscles, bone density and calcium balance, joints and ligament flexibility, and deep sleep patterns and more. Magnesium is required for more than 300 biochemical reactions to the body. Did you hear that? Magnesium is required for more than 300 biochemical reactions in the body. So what that means is that it's interactive. It, it is a all like an all-encompassing interactive mineral that our body is it needs it just like it needs water, a certain amount of water. It needs the magnesium mineral too. And though you can get some of that in your foods, it's good to have an additional supplement uh, to take 
Now, because we are not medical professionals, these are our opinions and these are the things that are working for us. I do caution that you, if you are on prescribed medication, that anything that you add to your regimen, that you do check with your physician, your your uh, primary care physician, to see if that how that's going to interact. Or you can go on WebMD.com, and there are other sites like that where you can type in the particular uh, medication that you're taking, and then on the other column you can type in the the mineral or other uh, supplement that you want to take and it will tell you the pros and cons of the interaction with with the drugs that you're taking and the minerals that you want to add on so you guys take this put this in your notebook snap a picture of that uh keep these things in mind because as we're moving ahead here we don't know we're in a country that's in a topsy-turvy right now right now we have covid 19 uh like i said where was one through 18 at so it's all it's always been something right then you had the flu uh they want you to take a flu vaccine every year so it's always something but if you keep your diet together and you add the right supplements to your diet uh with a physician's help if you need that um or go to a holistic doctor uh then you can guard yourself and boost up your immunity it's going to be imperative that not only you're boosting your immunity but by taking the different adding the proper things in your diet you're keeping your mind your wheels turning your mind is going to have to be on 100 you can't be sitting up there talking about some duh well uh i don't know uh uh you're gonna have to be quick on the draw because these people are crazy so you're gonna have to be quick on the draw and you do that through diet, exercise, meditation, and prayer. All right, 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 people. Let me come in real quick. Right, so we're running this down to you, right? But what does that have to do with a work visa and the disenfranchisement? You have to have your mind, body, spirit, soul, working in unison together to be able to catch what we're bringing to you. 213-943-3358. 213-943-3358. Make sure that you share this with your people. Smash the share button, the like button as we bring this to you. So now, what is a work visa? What is a work visa? Let's let's look at the definition of what a work visa is. We have this new teal look going on here. Work visa gives one the ability to take a job in a country other than the one in which one is a citizen. One kind may require the holder to have a local employer in their country as a sponsor or in this country as a sponsor and to return home if he, she loses the job. How long the work permit lasts depends on your current immigration status or what type of visa you are here on. Most EADs are valid for one year. Obviously, however, no person will be given a work permit, a visa that lasts longer than their permitted stay in the United States. 
States, right? Disenfranchise, disenfranchisement. What is disenfranchisement, right? Disenfranchisement, the state of being deprived of a right or privilege, especially the right to vote, human rights, power to the society, power in the society, excuse me, ability to work, own businesses, etc. So that is what disenfranchisement is, right? So what in the world does this have to do with anything? What does the immigrant coming to the United States and being enfranchised have to do with American Blacks disenfranchisement. It has to do with something called the Negro problem, right? The Negro problem. So we have to go back just a little bit, right? There's a uh, author named William Cabell Bruce, right? He wrote a book called the Negro Problem in 1891, and then later, W.E.B. Du Bois and some other great black thought leaders wrote, wrote their version of the Negro Problem. But his version of the Negro Problem lays out certain elements that we still see today. And remember, what's on paper for the Euro-American or the European is what rules the day, right? So this person, William Cabell Bruce, died in 1946 at the age of 86. But the man was busy in his earlier years, right? He was a Democrat, right? He won a Pulitzer Prize for a book on Benjamin Franklin in 1917. So he was, he is, was an established author. Bruce served in the Maryland Senate from 1894 to 1896 and became president of the Maryland Senate in 1896. In 1903 to 19. Eight, he served in the Baltimore City Department of Law, right? In 1910 to 1922, he served in the Maryland Public Service Commission. Now look, these are all organizations or positions that have to do with dealing with the Negro problem, either indirectly or directly, by making sure that Euro-Americans had the upper hand or maybe immigrants would have the upper hand. So this is a passage from the book. Matter of fact, it is in public domain, so you can search for it and actually read it online. It is no longer in print, it is in public domain. The Negro Problem by William Cabell Bruce, right? Written in 1891. This is what he says. From first to last, it should be borne in mind that the Negro Problem is a race problem. It is true that the great mass of the Southern Negroes vote Republican ballots. Now remember, this is a Dixiecrat, okay? We've been telling you about the Dixies 
all the time. And then the Dixie switched over later. We've talked about that in nauseum. Go back to previous. So let's continue. This is just tying pieces together. This, however, is not because they have any definite convictions upon questions of public policy, nor yet except to a limited extent because it was the Republican Party that conferred upon them freedom and the franchise. And that today affects to be their one champion and guardian. Now, what do American Blacks do today? Because Lyndon B. Johnson signed the 64, 65, 68 Civil Rights Acts, right? You can go back and figure out what those were. We have been, as a people, dedicated to the Democrat Party like once we were to the Republican Party before the Dixiecrats jumped over some Dixiecrats jumped over to the Republican Party and said that the Republican Party would never take the South again due to Johnson signing the 64, 65, 68 Civil Rights Acts, right? So now listen to what this Dixiecrat is saying. There is no, there is no definite convictions upon questions of public policy, nor yet except to a limited extent because it was the Republican Party that conferred upon them freedom and the franchise, and that today affects to be their one champion and guardian. So this is how politicians think about the American black, and it is how they deal with you as a problem. Still the Negro problem. 213-943-3358, right? Their intellectual condition renders the first idea ludicrous. So now he goes and says that there was some cognizant thought, but their intellectual condition renders that first idea ludicrous. In other words, what are the American black or the Negro animal or beast? It only moves towards those who are kind towards it, is what this man is saying. Now, this is a Dixiecrat, remember? The second is largely shorn of its claims to consideration by the fact that enough Negroes have resided at the North to fully enlighten their race at the South as to how far white Republicans in the former section are disposed to franchise, no, fraternize with the African in all the personal and business relations of life when to correct information in this respect is added the begrudging spirit in which a few petty offices are awarded to the southern negro as his part of the spoil of a presidential election it is hard to see how the emotions excited in him 
by the Emancipation Proclamation, the postbellum amendments to the federal constitution and the present professions of the Republican Party could be otherwise than considerably cooled. Now that's a lot of phraseology to say that the American blacks are finding out in, while dealing with the Northern Republicans that they really don't want to be around you. They only want you for your vote and so thus and so their minds have cooled to the Republican Party as it was and possibly there is an opening for another party. This is what's happening today with the Dixiecrats. This is a Dixiecrat talking, right? The Southern Negro votes a Republican ballot because it is the race prejudice of the Southern whites, which he heartily reciprocates, and not the race prejudice of the Northern whites that bear directly upon his daily life. Betsy Smith said, the Southern whites will work alongside you but don't get bigger than them. The Northern whites say, you can do what you like. I just don't want to be around you. So here's this man confirming what Betsy Smith had said just through her observations, right? So we have to be clear about what we are seeing and what we are hearing. Smash the share button, smash the like button. Make sure you go to the Film Review Live channel on YouTube and subscribe, 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 subscribe. Share, 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 like this video because we are bringing information. What do you have to say about that before we move forward? Because we have this video presentation that yours truly cut up that is going to tell this story. We're doing context now. The 1800s, 1865, right? This man is writing this book in 1891, right? So this is headed into, from the 19th century into the 20th century because the 20th century is only nine years away at that point. The 1920s, 1921, is only nine, 10 years away at this point. This is contemporary history and some don't even know what happened yesterday. Like, I mean, yesterday, like, you know, what's today, the 5th? They don't know what happened on the 4th of October. Not to mention that this is contemporary history that connects to us. It's just basically a hundred years. 1920 to 2020. It's only 100 years. What do you have to say to that? You know, it's interesting to me that um, the title of that book was The Negro Problem. And, you know, um, we're a problem they created. And the only reason why we would still be considered a problem, I, you know, we're not a problem to me. The problem is with the... Uh, minimalization of how you how you are um, dealing with us now to me what I picture in my mind's eye is that every 
voting election, every time something legislation has to be passed, every time uh, an injustice happens against us as American blacks, every time something happens that it is uh, a gross uh, offense to us. Um, you guys or whoever is passing laws and legislation, let me not, you know, I, I'm going to be fair. Whoever is in the majority of passing laws and in legislation, if we want to put it like that, if that if that powders the booty a little bit, um, I'm being nice right now. So whoever's in power and putting forth legislation and laws and things like that, only consider us in a minimal way. And the solutions are marginalized So you're just moving Things around Just slightly Just enough to pacify us For the moment That's why there are so many moments Because you're just pacifying us For the moment You're not coming up with any permanent solutions Or any uh, Forward thinking solutions To solve your so called problem You really don't care so you need us here So the idea, the goal, the end goal Is to keep us here For what you need us for Which you need us for industry Yeah you do You need our intellectual property Yeah you do You need our vote Yeah you do You're trying to eliminate that though uh, Well under O'Biden They'll bring in the uh, immigrants And, <laughs> and um, you know replace our vote and uh, they'll be a little more grateful because you know we were supposed to be grateful uh, for for the we were supposed to be grateful for us coming over here uh, in the transatlantic slave trade. We were supposed to be grateful for that. So it's minimalized or minimized and marginalized as to how you deal with us. This is the problem. This is the problem we're having since we all got problems. This is the problem we're having with this situation. So, I mean, you know, it's time to get it. It's time to get it. I mean, we, we've been going through this long enough, and uh, I'm not going to belabor the point, but it's time to get it. It's time to get it. Okay. Yeah, it's time to get it. So let's look at this. There's a movie out there that came on Turner Classic Movies. Now, we reviewed this movie on an episode of the Film Review, Movies, Music, Culture, Politics, Society podcast on the Film Review Live channel. It's called The Confessions of a Nazi Spy. And right underneath that is the documentary on a great American, right? A great American name, James Baldwin. And the name of his documentary in something a phrase that came out of his mouth I am not your negro look up real quick uh Tanya when James Baldwin was born okay look up real quick when James Baldwin was born right so look people what is happening in this movie you have to see this movie it came out in 1939 right 1933, just a few years before, right? Just a few years before, like six years before, not Germany became 
under the power of Nazis and it became the Nazi party and thus it became Nazi Germany and Adolf Hitler was on the move to take over Europe, right? And at the same time, German immigrants were flooding into the United States to fill factory jobs. Hmm, who do you think could have filled those factory jobs in the first place? Like, who was ready-made to fill those jobs to take America forward? Hmm, who could that be? Oh, I guess just like they did back then, it's, I'm catching a blank. Who was ready? Who had built it? to get it ready, who could have took over those factory jobs and went forward. Hmm, could that have been American blacks? Well, yes, if you said that at home, ding, 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 you won. But what you notice about this film as we get into it, what you know, and you have to see this film, Confessions of a Nazi Spy came out in 1939. It is the first film by the United States that was anti-Nazi, anti-Nazi Germany. And this is early, right? This is early, way before America gets into the war. But what did Nazi Germany want to do? It wanted to control the whole world. So thus in fact, uh, de facto, America would be letting in immigrants because of the so-called Negro problem. See how that works, right? The Negro problem, the so-called Negro problem. They were letting in immigrants to fill these jobs. Does that sound familiar? Does that and and this is a Dixie Dixie Crack connection. Does that sound familiar? And they were letting in these people to fill these jobs ready-made workforce to do it, but they was filling the job and they would rather deal with double agents, people, agent provocateurs in the United States than to deal with the American blacks over there. So when was, uh, when was James Baldwin born? Okay, your mic is out again. I don't know what happened. Did you kick out? You are out. You are out. You're going to have to drop out and drop back in and catch the connection. I don't know what happened here. Wow. Wow. This is something. This is something. Wow. No, you're out. You're going to drop out and come back in. And then I'll bring you in because you are Audi Kurt Gowdy. So anyway, people, this is happening at this time, right? 1933, this is happening, right? But then, in 1939, America does his first anti-fascist, anti-Nazi Germany film, right? And they are bringing these Germans in and they don't know who the heck they are bringing in the country if they are connected to the Nazi army or not the Nazi cause? Say check, 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 check for me. Let me see if check, I can check, 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 yes. check. Yes, okay. So when was when was Baldwin born? 
August 2nd, 1924. 1924. How at home, you 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 scholars. This is 1891 when this book comes out, The Negro Problem. James Baldwin is born in 1924. When is W.E.B. Du Bois born? Look up W.E.B. Du Bois. See, this is putting context to it because these are our modern time thought leaders that our latest thought leaders get some of the branches and the roots, the roots, right? To continue to branch out the tree of information to American black people. When was W.E.B. Du Bois born? He was born February 23rd, 1868. 1868, right? 1868, right? This book comes out in 1891. W.E.B. Du Bois is in the thick of it already, right? So this is connecting from the 19th century to the 20th century. And this is what's happening and why we are still on the hamster wheels because we don't understand, middle stand, overstand, or even know this information that this has always been a Negro problem. Why? Because Thomas Jefferson didn't know what to do with the Negro after they were free, we're going to send them back to Liberia. We're going to send them back to Africa. Right? Because the usefulness was over and they did not want to pay a group of people who they had used for free. That's why when yeah. I talk to people, yeah. I say, you're going to pay me what my fee is or we're not going to work. Because people, because there's enough white blood running through American blacks' brains that if you do something for free, they think that you should do it for free for all the time because why would they pay for something that they were able to get for free? So no, you pay me or we don't work. Because most people don't see when a person is doing something for them, that they're doing something to help them and in turn, turn around and reciprocate by going ahead and paying the person their fee after they get you up mm -hmm. off of the ground. But they don't see that because they got enough defective, deviant, in my opinion, white blood in there, running through their veins that they take their own people for granted. Now that's another topic for another show. Oh, Smash Lord. that share button. But that is what this is. Smash that share button. Smash that like button. S connect, tag your people because we are dropping information on this show today to get off this hamster wheel so you'll know what it is. To know what it is. Confessions of a Nazi spy came out in 1939, six years after the Nazis came into power. When Nazi, excuse me, well, I won't say the German immigrants was coming over, but some of them were Nazi sympathizers. And let's get to it. 
Let's get to it. Without further ado, let's get to the presentation because it is very important that we get to this presentation. As you see, it says Confessions of a Nazi Spy. So let's let's uh, play this real quick. Let's get this going. I am a Nazi spy. Between 1860. Before we get to the Nazi spy thing, because you know this is about American blacks, right? This is about American blacks. So I'm giving giving you some context. There was a book called The Negro Problem. Then once W.E.B. Du Bois and other scholars came into adulthood and were went through university and came up talented tenth, etc., etc. Learn that for yourself. Learn that on your own. You know, got to stay fast, though. Got to get fast. Got to get up to speed. They wrote their version of the Negro problem, which was the solutions to what this man had wrote in his book about pretty much that we were a problem and we were, our intellect was zero. And this is how the parties, they love to party with us. You know, it's just mindless. That's why they call parties. It's just mindless. They play the music. YMCA. Oh, you know, they just play these songs and it's a party. And it's just mindless. And they think that you're mindless and you're going to be going with them because, right. hey, right. we like that. It's a party. That's what they call parties. Right? And they think you're mindless. And this man writing this in 1891, that is still in the mentality of the Euro-American. This is what we are getting through to you. We have divine intellect. Everything, once we get there, it becomes faster, quicker, more efficient, etc., etc. So now, before we get to the Nazi spy, we have to go back a bit, right? We have to go back to back to the 18s, and this is Riza Islam. Smash the share button. He breaks into context and breaks down the backdoor deals. See, when you have historians already doing it, all you have to do is just utilize them and then bring context to their context, your thoughts on their context, because you're getting the facts. You're off the hamster wheel. You're not in a mindset. You are in a building your mind state. You're able to extract the facts and make your mind state accordingly and to understand, middle stand, overstand what has actually happened to us and what is continually happening to us because we don't have context. But once you get the context, anything that's fit into the context fits into what you're talking about. You put water into a context, a vase, the water is going to shape like that vase. If you put marbles in that vase, it's going to shape into that because you have context. But when you have no context, water is just going to go splash. The marbles are going to go, whoa. So you have to have your mind state to build context. Other than that, you're running aimlessly on the hamster wheel in a mindset. Oh, if I'm just this, I'm just that. They're finally going to accept me. And that is not the game. 
That is not the game. Again, that is not the game. But this is the game, and it was done to you without you knowing it, and with no no fault of your own. With no fault of your own, they would rather deal with spies and play spy games than to put you in your rightful place because you built the boy. So let's continue on here. A Nazi spy. Between 1865 and 1877 was the Reconstruction era when black people were supposedly freed from slavery and we went back to school. We became congressmen and doctors and lawyers and all these different magnificent things and we were building our own neighborhoods, etc., etc. But wasn't it in 1877, the compromise of 1877 between Democrats and Republicans where they met at the Wormley Hotel, February 26th, 1877 in Washington, D.C., where they came up with the idea that in order for us to maintain a stable economy, we need to put black people back on the plantation. Did that not happen? But what is my relevance in bringing that up? Wasn't it a Jewish man by the name of Levy who was in Congress who introduced the idea to put us back on the plantation in 1877? Will let's pause. Let's pause right there, right? 1877. W.E.B. -E du Bois is born when? Uh, 1868. James Baldwin is born when? 1924. Two minds and two contemporaries their contemporaries though w.e.b du bois is older two contemporaries that came through the 1950s and 60s together were effectively affected by this legislation all we have to do is extrapolate out if we just go from 1920 to 2020, I keep saying that. I keep saying that, and all you have to do, but we, some people are visual learners. Some don't like to read. That's cool, because we got people out there. We've got information. We drop information. All you have to do is just watch, and we make it entertaining, we believe. We get a laugh and a chuckle, but it's serious business as we're kicking serious. it. So this right here let's keep on listening to what rizza is on because he's breaking this down smash the share button smash the like button let the people know that we're on go over to the film review live channel and subscribe 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 share 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 a work visa and the disenfranchisement is what we're talking about Let's continue, but the disenfranchisement was a choice by legislature, by the legislature, by legislators. Let's continue. William Levy, he guaranteed his southern slave-owning friends that their investment would be protected and secured by having black Africans put back onto the plantation in 1877. His entire speech given to Congress is preserved in the Library of Congress, March 1st, 1877. Oh, it was a Jewish man who helped to push to make black men and women look permanently inferior under law, 1877. So we need to look at this as it pertains to the relationship that black people have with Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Now, let us take this a step further. A Jewish man named Rothschild, who everyone should know, Rothschild, 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 had a 
representative here in America by the name of August Belmont. And he was the one who was investing or managing Rothschild's investments, etc. August Belmont's real name or last name was Schoenberg, Jewish man as well. He was managing the cotton, tobacco, and other products and investments dealing with slaves, black people, for Rothschild. Uh-huh. Remember, just to keep all of this in context, 95% of the workers in the southern states were black men. White men did not know how to lay bricks. They did not know how to build buildings. They did not know how to do any of this. We did this. 95% of the work that was going on in the southern states were from black slaves. Black. 95% of the work were done by American blacks. Do you understand why the infrastructure is falling down now? Maybe you just didn't believe or you just didn't want to hear. Smash the share button. Smash the like button. This is where we are. This The, the reasons why we can't seem to get it straight is because this is legislation started back in 1877 to deal with the Negro problem. And you know the word that they were using because they were begrudging because they came here as immigrants themselves, had some money to buy property. What was property? Black bodies to produce a cash crop and the blacks knew how to plant how to build, how to etc, etc. They didn't know how to do. And film, in film, it shows you and tells you the truth, but you need to know what you're looking for. They're hiding it. How do you hide something to someone? You make it seem comical and you put it in their face in plain sight and yes. you won't, and the average person won't see it because the average college student won't know a meeting is going on if it's plastered on a wall. Is that how do you keep a college student from knowing something? Just put the bulletin on the bulletin board and the college student is going to walk right past. They put it right in front of your face and you don't know. You think that it's comedy, but we're here today to show you in film. What's going on? So let's continue. Rizzo Islam breaks this down so well. Why Why do we feel as a people that we have to go and, hmm, I have to go on and have to say it again myself. When you have the scholars already doing it and you can just utilize those, that scholarship and continue to build upon it. We build. We build. You may have thought, hey, they've talked about the hamster wheel and they've talked about this before, but we're not talking about it the same way. We constantly move forward. No backwards. Hey, you need to go back. Right. Episode one, all the way up to now, episode 29, we are building the building blocks and the information that you need to know. Right, here we go. Men, in particularly. So we were the ones who were handling all the trades. Keep that in mind. Seeing how we knew all the trades, seeing how we knew how to do all of the work, seeing how white people were not experienced in building virtually anything, um, that was a big problem because if we were going to be freed, then that means they have no one to till the soil, they have no one to build anything, they have no one to fix or maintain or manage anything. So therefore, they had to figure out a way 
to prevent black people from working, prevent us from working, prevent us from having a job and only focus on pushing the jobs to them. So a man by the name of Samuel Gompertz, a Jewish man who was born Samuel Gompertz, created something called the American Federation of Labor. And this was founded in 1886 to guarantee that black people would not have a job. And so us, by and large, were going to be pushed directly into economic deprivation, into a condition of being totally broke. Jewish man. Jewish man. Jewish man. Last person you should be talking about is the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. Let's pause right there for a minute, right? Now look, of course, you know, we have to bring Mr. P in because Mr. P a week before last gave context to this. And so we have to play Mr. Panaki, right? Mr. P, so that's what's up next, but listen. Smash the share button, it's very important. Sean Thomas says, here in Orlando, Disney has more visa workers than actual than actually improve American employees. SeaWorld does it, Universal does it, the hotels do it, while American men and women language in languish in jail and panhandling on the street, right? He also says, it is no mystery, there's no confusion. Just look at the history and you would have the answer for the present day problems that we have. Knowledge is power. We've got to get off the plantation mentally, physically, spiritually, economically, culturally. He says, speaking truth, the US destabilized Latin America and underdeveloped Latin America for fresh new immigrant group to exploit and enslave, right? That's what he said. So you see, so they're bringing the people over and they're doing the same things that they've been doing. This starts in 1877, 1865, you're free. When did the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment get ratified in the Constitution, Tanya? First of all, let's tell them what the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment is. And you can see that there's two tracks in the United States government, and it's all Euro-American games. It's all a game. It's two tracks. It's like Trump, for instance. I know y'all going to be like, oh, he said Trump, but Trump is reversing what Biden did in the 80s and the 90s, bringing people home. But there's a track in the Justice Department that wants to find loopholes to send those people back to prison. What's gonna happen when a certain person gets in office and now those loopholes are then pressed to reverse to send those people back to prison? Because no one that I know of will ever want to see what they built crumble in their lifetime. That's just human nature. That's human nature. That's human nature. 
So they would not want to see he, oh boy, would not want to see what he built crumble just like that in front of his eyes. When was the 13th? What is the 13th Amendment and when was it ratified? Uh, the the three of those com um, amendments collectively are called the Reconstruction Amendments. They were passed shortly after the Civil War and adopted between 1865. The 13th Amendment was ratified on December 18, 1865. The 14th on July 28, 1868. And the 15th on March 30th. 1870 so seven years later there's a move to put black people back into a slave state where their mental capacity and their mental and their cognitive skills are challenged and they're said that you cannot reason you cannot learn and thus and so you are better off being not a protective class, but a class that is in bondage, right? This, however, is not because they have any definite convictions upon questions of public policy, nor yet except to a limited extent because it was the Republican Party that conferred upon them freedom and the franchise. So by, so all this is happening. So by 1877, they are trying to reverse this and put you back into bondage. Now let's fast forward to 1964, 1965, 1968. At the same time they did that, well, they used the old trick that they did back in the thirties. And then they did back during the time when they were bringing the immigrants in to buy bodies to till land, they passed the Immigration Act of 1965. You're getting the Civil Rights Act, the Voters' Rights Act, the Fair Housing Act, and the 1965 Immigration Act gives them all of that automatic. You being played. You're being played. You're being played because it's too factions working in the American government and neither one of them really want to battle with each other because they know what civil war is but there's a group in the streets now that are anarchists and accelerationists that are about that civil war and collapsing the state you got to catch up you got to catch up this is what's happening 1877 locks us into 100 years and it will lock us into another hundred years and another hundred years before, unless we get smart and educated on what's important to be educated on and be on the fight for reparations then, now, and in the future. Go watch that episode. We talked about that in nauseam. So let's go on. So Mr. P comes in and he talks to us about this conference that Riza Islam paused for the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. You know, I'm not, I'm not a Muslim. I'm a God-blessed individual, a GBI. But I take knowledge from my black people because I am an American black man and I'm about American black voices. That's what I'm about. There is no division. Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. 
you talk about that uh, that problem. You know, that was back in 1875, 1877, somewhere about that. Former President Rutherford Hayes convened a conference <clears throat> at Inkster, New York, called the Mohawk Mohawk Conference, and the conference met on the subject of the Negro problem. And they invited people from South America, Brazil, Argentina, so on and so on. And of course, United States representatives. And they were wondering what we're gonna do with these Negroes. The United States chose to use segregation. The United States chose to use segregation and what went into segregation but the 13th Amendment and using the second half. Remember, it's always two trains of thought. The, the Native Americans, which is really us, said, speak with forked tongue. The devil, mm -hmm. the horns, two trains of thought going, right? For there will be no slavery. Uh, everyone is free, except unless duly convicted of a crime. See, that's that second phrase and that's that phraseology that trick or ticks that gets you oh no more slavery but unless you're duly convicted of a crime so they went on and try to find any kind of way to convict people of crime to put them in to be a free workforce <laughs> you see what's going on smash the share button smash the like button believe you me I know this is hard to ingest because you have throughout your years believed in America a certain way and America is a great country but we have to now take the reins of the of the team of horses of the 25 the 50 soon to be 52 horses we've got to take the reins of the 52 horses and corral them to go in the right direction to see us finally free and compensated, repair for what they did to us. You know what I mean? So let's continue on with what he's talking about. He goes on to talk about the South America and they decided to use sex to try to breed them out. So let's go through, let's go through. And uh, this uh, segregation and uh, Jim Crow and things like that. But Brazil and other South American countries chose to use dissemination, other ways to breed them out of existence. <laughs> now, once you, when you get a chance, once you look up the subject, where did the blacks go in Argentina? At one time, blacks made up 40, maybe 60% of the population of Argentina. Now they down the list to 0.07%. That's the question. Where in the hell did all the blacks go in Argentina? And they had the same thing programmed in Brazil, in Cape Verde, Puerto Rico. You know, in Puerto Rico, marrying somebody white is called fixing up the race. In Cape Verde, they are told don't marry no one darker than you. So yes, those things were propagated and still are to a certain extent. Look at the Latinos with La Raza, which means the race. Now they changed the name of their organization because it was it was just too obvious. 
You made mention of I-10 number, which is the individual tax identification number that's given to illegals because they can't get a social security card. Well, they take that I-10 number and they use it to get mortgages. Look up another article. Undocumented living their dreams. They use the I-10 number and there are several banks that will give them home mortgages and a credit card. And when they sign on that home, they take those documents to the local voters registration office and register to vote. We get back to this now. So we're tying all this together, right? Because this is a continuous wheel that you're on and it and it sometimes they throw in. We have to throw in different years to get you to realize, right? Because that's how things are being thrown at you. Like they'll pick something from way back in the 1800s to throw at you now in 2020. And if you don't know what they're throwing at you, you will be on the hamster wheel just dodging things. We're still on the hamster wheel thing. I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. I'm in that mindset. But we're getting you off the hamster wheel taught you how to fight against the electrical inertia with your own inertia. The electrical inertia that you caused, you have to fight against it with your positive inertia because a negative signal keeps going. So when you click a car, the battery won't die, right? So it's that negative inertia. Now you gotta use your positive inertia, your potential to kinetic energy to get off the hamster wheel with very little damage. And this is what we showed. You gotta go back and watch that episode, right? That was last week. Gotta stay with us now. We're on 29, we're moving forward, right? Smash the share button, smash the like button, smash the like button, smash the share button. Make sure you subscribe to the Film Review Life channel on YouTube or subscribe to the various pages that we are on on various platforms. Hashtag TFR Podcast Live OB and hashtag TFR Podcast Live, right? Now look, now we're bringing you back. We, we gave you context, right? We put it into this shape so that you will understand the context of what we're going. It starts in 1877. We are now in 1939. Look up the Nazis and tell me when they when they formed and when they came to power. I want to make sure that I'm correct on that, right? As we move forward, we have to make sure that we are correct. Smash the share button, smash the like button. We are in this deep right now. We are taking this deep right now. You know, at one point soon, soon, we will have given you everything that you need to know. We will get, have given you every aspect of the knowledge that you need to know to go out and do your research, the building blocks to do your research and make your mind state and get with like-minded people, not in a mindset, but in mind state and push this forward. Reparations then, reparations now, reparations in the future. So when were the Nazis formed and when did they come to power under Adolf Hitler? Let me see. Now, they were formed in February 24th, 1920 in Munich, Germany. And let's see here. Did they come under Hitler? They came under Hitler. Uh, looks like 
July 29, 1921. So a year later, or less than a whole year later. When when did they come to power to be? Because you know they have like a parliament, and, and so they came to power totally in 1933 when they started to push across Europe to take Europe over. That's what I'm looking for next. So they came in in 21 and it took them, what, 11 years to build, 12 years to build where they were. And that's what I'm looking for next to give context to where we're, where we're headed. So remember, this is 1921. What's happening in 1921? What's happening? Where did the Nazis get their information on how to treat the Jewish people? They came over and looked at antebellum slavery. 1865, 1812, 1822, 1832. They're over here studying and taking it back. Went to the Tasmanians, wiped the Tasmanians out. Then when it came to power, they were jealous. Did we just say jealous of the people who had the power, had the money, and they went in to destroy those people. And they used eugenics that they learned from the United States of America. You have to catch up. You have to get context. You have to put in the context. 1877. When was Margaret Sanger around with the woman's suffrage movement? What did she believe in with eugenics? Who was she tied to that were German? What did they do to American black women in the sterilization era? What did they do to, and what do they still do to American black women with this little, our opinion, our observation, this little company planned Parenthood with over 22 million American black abortions and counting. With 42, 44 million, we could have been 66 million, baby. No, no immigrant would ever overtake. Huh? So when when did when did Nazis take full power and started to push to take Europe? Okay, um, what you're looking for, Hitler's blend of political acuity, deceptiveness, and cunning converted the party's non-majority and plurality status into effective governing power in the ailing Weimar Republic of 1933. So it was 1933, you hit that on money. So six years later, the Nazis have become such a problem that United States using majority German immigrants in the film of Confessions of a Nazi Spy, they used those who came to America to escape to tell the story of what was happening a few years earlier when the Nazis were sending spies over. And what 
could have eliminated that altogether if they hadn't have been passing that 1877 legislation that put American black people back into a slave state without being on plantation because our minds were considered deficient. What was going on with eugenics then? Who were the people who were saying, the, the scientists saying that the African brain or the black brain was smaller than the European brain? When was all this happening? See, you have to tie all of this together. You have to tie all of this together. What do you have to say before we get to this? Because we're coming to the confessions of a Nazi spy. This movie in 1939 is so raw. You have to see this film and you notice who you don't see in the picture. You don't see any black people in the picture. If we don't exist, but they wouldn't even had to go through all of this trying to get the Nazi spies out and going into all this counter espionage and espionage if they had just been fair to the people who had actually built the country, but they were afraid. They had fear, but that's no excuse. What you got to say? You know, in the usual jellyback form of, of racism, um, in a 1921 article, uh, Margaret Sanger said the most urgent problem today is how to limit and discourage the overfertility of the mentally and physically defective. She was, of course, not alone in that viewpoint in the 1920s and 30s, which was the same exact period of time that Hitler was transitioning the regime of the Nazi party through the 20s and 30s. Eugenics enjoyed widespread support from mainstream doctors, scientists, and the general public. Planned Parenthood officials are quick to note that despite her thoughts on the idea in general, Sanger uniformly repudiated this is Jellyback right here she uniformly repudiated the racist exploitations of eugenic principles so she's trying to double back and say that it's not uh, the American black that or black people that she was targeting through her eugenics though she was running parallel with the thoughts of Nazi uh, the Nazi party through the 20s and 30s my god just stand for if you're gonna uh if you're going to make a statement, stand on it. I don't understand. It's making statements and can't stand on what you say. But yeah, she was very much running in parallel with Hitler's thought process. And so, you know, Hitler's thing was to create a perfect race, uh, a flawless race. And I don't really see how he could think that way. He looked like he was mixed with several things. So I don't understand how, um, you know, he took that point of view, but he did. He looked like he was mixed with several things. He was certainly mentally ill and he needed some fan app back then. And so. Listen, this is the same woman during the women's suffrage movement when they had the women's suffrage march to vote. And they wouldn't let the AKAs walk in the front of the parade, in the middle of the parade. They wanted them to walk in the back of the parade. And that's when some of the AKAs, as the story goes, just observation, and in my opinion on it, I haven't given an opinion. I'll just say that's when some of the AKAs broke away, formed Delta Sigma Theta, as the story goes, so they could walk in the parade. And where did they walk in the parade? Tell me, Tanya, where did the Deltas walk in the parade? 
<laughs> they must have been in the back too. In the back of the bus, but they were in the parade. But the AKA said no. When were Alpha Phi Alpha was formed, that's the male group, Alpha Phi Alpha 1906. Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, 1906. When was the AKAs formed? Look up the AKAs real quick, right? That's Alpha Kappa Alpha Incorporated. See, all of this is going on. Here you are, they do this legislation 1877. This is contemporary, people. This is 30 years, 40 years. Look, the 101, the 100 to 1 and the three strikes, 40 years. This is contemporary. This is still dealing and harming American black people. What they said then in 1877 is still harming today because people come in and plug into those different ideals and thought patterns and pass legislations that built upon 1877. Come on, people. You got to catch up to know what you're going on. So what year was AKA and created? 1908. 1908 and when were the deltas created i need to know when the deltas were created real quick right deltas right deltas deltas, deltas. okay they were 1913 1913 okay so this is the women's suffrage <clears throat> this is contemporary history people i mean the photography and film the photography had been in, but film is in, and we can see this. We can see people walking, talking, doing all that. This is contemporary. When you get to film, more than the photograph, but when you get to film, moving pictures, all of that is contemporary. You may think that 100 years ago, but there are people who are still alive who lived it who are 113, 116. Some people who are 90 years old were there hundred years old they were there this is contemporary for us you know people who lived it this is an ancient history this is now then is to now as in the future then is to now as in the future you have to correct what happened then now so it won't go to the future you got to catch up, people. You got to catch up. You got to go back and watch 1 through 28 and now 29. We're building blocks. We're bringing this to you, right? All of this is happening at the same time. Talented Tim. Other black people inventing. Well, already were inventing because we built everything. So we knew how to do everything. All of the inventions that we use that are nice today the light that actually stayed on over five seconds created by american blacks the freezer system the refrigerator the elevator the the fountain pen the tone arm apparatus the laser eye we fill in the holes of the retina created by a black woman you need to go back to TFR Podcast Live when we talk about American Black historical figures. 
And all we dealt with were, were women, American black women. I hadn't even got to the men yet. American black women, touch tone, American black woman. The pull out bed, you know. American black woman. I mean, we can go on and on, but all this is happening while they're telling us that our 1877 legislation, our brains aren't working correctly, and thus that's why we should be enslaved or in an enslaved state. Wake up, people. Your vote matters when you use it correctly. There's a yay, there's a nay, and there is a abstain. And when you abstain, you say, I'm tired of 1877. I'm tired of 1877. Correct that, Euro-Americans. Correct that, Europeans. Correct that. Correct it. So that then won't be now into the future, but we will have corrected now, what was then, so the future will be so much better. And it is up to you to apologize and correct and to repair and to do what is necessary to put American Black there because it is ultimately going to happen one way or the other. Once people wake up, people are waking up every day and saying, I don't want to be with this, these anarchists or these accelerationists. And hey, I'm going to use the force of the state to protect me in all of its law enforcement forms, but I'm not interested in being on your side. I'm interested in being the American black side for once. Once you learn 1877, after they did all of the bills, 13, 14, 15 amendment, the last ended in 1870, did they come up seven years later and trying to reverse this on you because they found out that you were industrious. What was happening? When was when was Rosewood being built? When was when was when was Tulsa being built? Cause it crumbled in 21. 1877, all this is happening in a 30 year span. And they started collapsing all that shit because they said they wanted us back in a slave state, not owning business. We don't even respect our own business people because we've got their mind state that we are inept and they need it fed out. Go ahead. You know, um, this is just absolutely ludicrous like everything is absolutely ludicrous now um i just looked up because you asked the question when was rosewood being built you already knew it but i didn't so i went and looked it up and it was in the 1920s so i'm assuming that the other one uh the the uh oklahoma was probably in that same state so the mitigated gall if you're putting a word out there you're making a pronouncement and remember, I told y'all, death and life is in the power of the tongue. So you're making a pronouncement out of your mouth over a group of people, which namely us. Uh, and then you see that the words, okay, this shows, tells me that we were some kind of spiritual people too. Because despite the words that were going forth, we were still building completely independent of them. And we were industrious, as my brother said. 
So that means that our spirit man, the only way to overcome negative words where death is being spoken over and death is, is just basically an absence of God's blessings or an absence of productivity, an absence of being able to progress. So they were making speaking words that was to hinder our productivity, hinder our ability to progress. But we were able to move past that so that means there was a lot of praying going on that means there was a lot of agreement going on there's strength in numbers there's strength in agreement can two walk together unless they be agreed the answer is no so when you had a lot of agreement and a lot of prayer it overcame the negative witchcraft words that was being spoken over us as a people so when they saw that their words because i i suspect that a lot of them already know that death and life is in the power of the tongue. It's 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 because witches know it more so than believers know it. I don't know why, since it's in the scripture, but the witches use it. People on the dark side use universal laws to their advantage, where we are sitting around like boo-boo the fool and acting like we don't know what's going on because we have only a form of godliness that continually and perpetually denies the power thereof because we do not demonstrate it and do not manifest. Now, so they, so we built the stuff and they came and tore it down because they got to get rid of the evidence of their error. They got to get rid of the evidence of the fact that they've been speaking witchy words over a people that were not productive. And so the people were able to, to, rise above and just move like they weren't even being spoken so they had to come burn it down they had to come tear it down get rid of it get rid of it because we don't want no other ones to get no ideas to build nothing and to be completely independent of us because we're still revamping how we're going to get them re-entangled in slavery so if they if, if one group of people sees the other group is building they're going to follow their model of being able to get things done in unity. And so we're going to go in and we're going to just massacre everything. It's going to break their morale. It's going to break their spirit. And then it's going to cause a division. And then what's going to happen is they're going to scatter. And then they're not going to be able to pull together. Now we got to move quick now because once we get them to scatter, we got to start our propaganda. Use the same thing that you used over in Nazi Germany with a Jillian dialect. So their propaganda ministers begin to disseminate information and each one begins to take on what they want to believe about what should happen next. And here we are. And we have given ourselves a Black History Month in February, the shortest month in the year. Listen, I'm not celebrating another Black History Month. I stopped looking at those stupid programs years ago. I'm not. Because this whole every year, 365 days a year, 12 months, all of them is Black History. Everywhere you look is Black History. Everything that we do from day to day got Black History in it. And so I'm not relegating our history down to a cute little celebratory month. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not doing it. I want the whole pie. I want the whole 
whole year. So, so you have the 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 Republican and Democrat. You vote left, right, or you you abstain. So, which basically is saying that I am being, we are being obstinate. You know what it means to be obstinate? It's like something. It's like a big eyesore sat in the middle of a road, or sat in the middle of a parking lot, or sat in the middle of the floor. That everybody is, you ain't gonna go through it, baby. You ain't gonna go around it. It's obstinate. So I'm standing here. I am an Nazi spy. I am one of thousands stationed in every part of the United States to steal the secrets of your national defense. There are spies stationed in all of the Navy yards in Brooklyn. Philadelphia Newport News. There are Nazi agents in the aeroplane and munition factories at Bristol, Buffalo, Seattle, Boston. The chief United States inspector in one of your factories turning out secret aeroplane parts is a German spy. So you see, this movie, Confessions of a Nazi Spy, let's continue. This is what's going on. This is what they would rather have dealt with than to have done what was right. And remember, once you learn about 1877, you know what your, you, you've got your, you've got your walking, you got your papers, you've got your orders. You know what it's all about at this point. So let's continue on. You'd rather deal with simpletons like this. Listen to what he says about being a, an American citizen. From place to place, hotel rooms, police department, state department. I'm an American citizen, I insist on my rights. I've told you all I know. I will not be third degree. Sit I... down, Schneider. Sit down. All right, Phillips. Smoke? Don't worry, there's no third degree with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Too bad. What's too bad? I'm astonished at you, Schneider. You keep sticking to that story. A man asked you to pick up that package. A man you never saw before. It's true. That's all I know. I expected more of you. That's the sort of story we hear every day. The usual obvious alibi of nitwits and common crooks. <laughs> This is going on in the 1930s, right? What are American black people doing? We've got people who are in education. We've got scientists already. We've got people whose patents are being stolen because there are no rights, right? But what else is happening for the people who are not in education? The Numbers. The policy is rolling, baby. And they've had movies about this, right? This right here, this scene is the Nicholas Brothers. So I'm cutting, I'm intercutting and showing you what they're going through and what American black people are doing, not only to survive, but to live. These were the options that they gave. The only options, not, they weren't trying to give any options at all. I'm going to retract that. 
This is what we made from out of 1877 and them saying that we were not cognizant enough to do for ourselves, but somehow we still dress to the nines, which I don't begrudge that because I know where it comes from. We wanted more. We wanted more. There's a picture of my father. He wanted more. He was dressed. Had a picture where he was dressed where his socks matched his shoes and it was back in that time. And he was a young 17 year old. Right? We wanted more and we did what was necessary to get more and it was because of a 1877 decision. Not a decision, legislation. Right? So let's continue on here. Let's continue on. This is what's happening. We, we're finding a way to overcome. Yeah. Lucky number today, sir. Number today. Too busy. Come on, we'll get it. Hello? Yes. This is the flight that way. Shoe polish program is going on right now. Yeah. Studio 143. You're welcome. What room is the shoe polish program? Right, 143. Do you okay. want that for your number? Hey, that may be a good lunch. Get it for me. Okay. We don't know what time, but it's tonight. Only, not only were we doing what was necessary, a segment of us were doing what was necessary, we also found a way to entertain ourselves and use that to make the In the dollar. 1930s and 40s, Hollywood offered African-American actors few roles beyond servile ones. Was you asking for me, Miss Allen? The film historian Donald Bogle has called the 30s the age of the Negro servant, and the careers of great performers like Clarence Muse and Teresa Harris confirm this marginality. Too often, these actors were not even credited. Someone's gonna insult you today if you get out of bed. The off-screen reality was always more complex. However demeaning the roles, they also sustained careers for performers who belonged to another Hollywood, one that included behind-the-scenes activism and the ongoing struggle for creative autonomy. Creative autonomy, right? This is going on, right? And, and while they have passed this 1877, we're passing through the decades and we're constantly creating constantly but there's always somebody there that's it could be people in the industry in the movie industry in the music industry in every industry that hold on to that 1877 thought because generations pass on and so do the thoughts into those families and they infect and poison the minds of others and they move forward with those thoughts but we're showing you the brilliance not only were they producing, being in, in film to make sure they, they were in film, we were in film, but behind the scenes they were fighting. There's a there's an interesting show on uh, Netflix called Hollywood that talks about what if the situation hadn't happened in the 60s but happened in the late 40s. You should watch that. That's a interesting documentary. Let's continue with this. So meanwhile, while we're being industrious, immigrants are coming over and here's what we find. Now, from the actual revelations of Department of Justice investigator Leon G. Turo, 
comes the mightiest dramatic blast ever filmed. The almost incredible story of foreign agents stealing our vital defense plans. Of a brown network spreading hatred and terrorism to mask the treacherous plots of its leaders. Confessions of a Nazi spy. Your plant is turning out a new type supercharger for pursuit ships. How soon can we get the blueprints? I don't know. I want to quit. I want to wash my hands of all this. Herr Westphal, have you ever heard of an organization known as the Gestapo? Clarence Muse, often cast as butler or a porter, collaborated with the poet Langston Hughes on the script and the songs for Way Down South, released by RKO in 1939, the same year as Gone with the Wind. I know you're trying to do the best you can for Mars Tim. I'm trying to do the best I can for him too, sir. You, how many of you knew that this film even existed? That this film was the counter effort and was made to counteract Gone with the Wind. You see what's happening. You see what's happening. Like on yesterday's show of TFR Podcast Live, which we broke down various uh, horror noir, which is. American blacks in horror films and the contributions that have been made and the creations that have been made. How many knew that this was going on in the studio system that way where there's two trains of thoughts going? One is saying no. The other one is saying we're in Jim Crow, we're in segregation, but we're going to give a little bit, just a little bit. And this is what we're dealing with here, right? But People got to make. Do you know who Langston Hughes is? Let's continue on. On with the Wind is a regressive fantasy, of course, but as Bogle points out, its black actors transformed their slaves into complex human beings. For a man of your caliber, I would expect something ingenious, cleverly contrived. Now look, Schneider, I'm one of the oldest operators of the FBI. I've had to deal with the most dangerous criminals in America hijackers, kidnappers, smugglers the most cunning international brains. And now I am privileged to investigate the case of one of the most famous German spies in America. A spy who's shown tremendous daring, imagination, ingenuity, and yet who insists on pretending to be nothing but a stupid fool. I don't understand it. We can use some American passports. Passports? Yes, we need them for our agents going to South America. I want you to get me the secret code used between military planes and land bases. You'd think from the number of spies they've been sending over here that we're at war with Germany. It looks more as if Germany were at war with us. Nazi boons meeting all over the nation, openly training men for street fights, teaching them how to use guns and bayonets. It's a new kind of war, but it's still war. You saw Schlager in the Café Nuremberg? Yes. You spoke to him? Yes. Did he pay you there? No. I want the whole truth, no hedging about. It is no use, Doctor. They have the codes, the letters, everything about you too. Tell the truth. It was only propaganda material I gave Schlager. You gave Schlager military information. How do you dare? We have instructions for you, Grützweit. You are going back to Germany. Why? 
Your actions have become much too dangerous for you to remain here. We are still in America. I didn't mean anything wrong. Please, I don't want to go back to Germany. I don't want to go back to Germany. I don't want to go back to Germany. That's the same thing with the 22 million African immigrants from the different countries. I don't want to go back to Nigeria. I don't want to go back to Nigeria. I don't want to go back to Nigeria. I'm in the United States. A man of milk and honey. I'm in the mud huts back there. At least in the projects. What the American blacks complaining about? I'll be a good immigrant killing of the American blacks if you let me. You see this? You see what we're showing you here. So while this is going on, at the same time, we're being industrious. We're moving through, making it happen. And every time we got to a certain point, they found a way to run a highway through or to destroy it. Because how could someone from the 1877 legislation thought of as inept in mind and nothing but physical prowess be able to build these utopias that are better than ours. Huh? Let's continue on. Okay, hold up one second. Let me find it. Okay. Okay, I know what happened. Okay, here we go. Now, people, the next the next place that you see, let me bring this back. Let me bring this back up. This is Harlem in the 1930s. Right? This is what's happening. Notice what happens in Harlem. See, we're dressed to the nines, right? This is all over the United States where there are cities. Cleveland, Ohio, you can substitute whatever city. Look at how nice we're dressed, right? Look at the women representing success because that's what we've done and that's what we do. Even in the hip hop era, we do the same, right? Look at this way. Here's the photographer. What was left for us to do? The photographer. How many times have we seen the photographer? Watch how many things are still the same as the 1930s. Look at this. Debutantes. They called them dusky debutantes. Isn't that saying? Look, the police officers, they called it Harlem's finest, right? The barber shop, right? What's happening in the barber shop? Getting it, trying to get the get the kink out. Look. Nail techs, what? Look, the, the barber, see, it's the same things. Look, the Lodge Brothers, look, parades, showing ourselves in our finest. That's Labor Day every, every Labor Day in Cleveland, Ohio, and here in Las Vegas. And then look at here, this is the Cotton Club. Look at this. Look at what you see, right? Routines, dancing for... Caucasian patrons to make that dollar. You know what you're up against. We got Duke Ellington, right? Duke Ellington and his band. Look, look, here's the dancing girls, right? What has changed? What has changed? And we sit up and we do the same things. We're still on that same emotional hamster wheel instead of working each group working with one another. You're downing, right? There's the white guy drinking his alcohol, enjoying the party, watching the dancing girls dance, the black dancing girls dance. 
What has changed? While you're talking about, uh, while you're talking about Megan the Stallion and the others, and you say, "Oh my God, it's just too much." Here's Duke Ellington playing, and, they, and I hear the Can Can. Now, you know, in in France, the Can Can girls are in. Look at this. Look at this. Bottoms out. There's nothing changed. There's nothing changed. You, you see it right there. Bottoms out, same, same thing, dancing. Now, we get to this and they're dancing and the white folks didn't want to let you in so they put on black coats. Many, if not most, of the performers we think of as the very backbone of the film industry. Performed in blackface or approximate to it. I mean, you can see Bing Crosby and Holiday Inn. You can see Fred Astaire in Swing Time. There are all sorts of, I mean, even poor little Shirley Temple. Who told you to put that black on? In just about every case, putting on the blackface becomes this way that white characters get to actually show their emotional selves. Characters bond. They get in touch with their feelings. And that's a fascinating dimension of what black representation is doing there. You know, some people think that Hollywood created these stereotypes. Hollywood did not create them. Well, Hollywood has been a huge mechanism for perpetuating these kinds of performative traditions that date back to blackface minstrelsy. We can't say conclusively how it got started or when, but we do know a pivotal time. And this was in the 1830s. There was an entertainer, Thomas Rice, who did a song called Jump Jim Crow, in which he was doing a caricature of what he said was an authentic performance by a black stableman. He had seen this guy who worked around the horses. And who did this this dance, and he, he watched him, and in essence, sort of lifted it, and then went in blackface, performed it very successfully. Well, you see, so, so wait, wait, wait. So the blackface, here you are, you're entertaining in front of people who Look at you as blackface. Look up real quick before you look. Tell me when the railroad started getting built in the Pacific, the Pacific side in particular, not the eastern, not 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 the uh, Atlantic side, but the Pacific side in particular. Or just give me both years, because they both started. They met in the middle, and when you see the pictures, they have the white men driving the spikes. But that was not the truth. Because the Euro-American Euro did nothing. When you see the Hoover Dam and you see the pictures of the man out there on the scaffold filling in with some, with some putty on something, that was not who built the Hoover Dam. It's unfortunate, man. It's unfortunate. So when did the, when did the Atlantic side get built and when did the Pacific side of the railroad get built? Let me see. It, it appears as if the Atlantic side was 1866. 
it looks like both of them were it was the dates between 1867 or 1866 to 1897 I'm trying to get the the separate ones here hold on but for the most part though it's 1866 go ahead yeah it seems to because when I look it up here on Google it has I looked up Atlantic and Pacific Railroad found it and it says 1866 they are building simultaneously and they meet in the middle west and east meet atlantic pacific meet isn't social studies great that's something i learned back in social studies that was seventh grade right but what i didn't learn because the pictures they showed didn't show the black former black slaves and the other people that were there. But this right here is the opening to Blazing Saddles, right? Opening to Blazing Saddles. And <laughs> here it is. This is one of my favorite intros because it tells so much truth. They hide it in film. And it was co-written by Richard Pryor and Mel Brooks, right? Mel Brooks, main writer, uh, Richard Pryor co-writer was supposed to be a vehicle for Richard, but unfortunately, well, that's another story for another time, but this is Cleavon Little, and listen to the conversation of the, I just call him Overseer. Come on, boys! The way you lollygagging around here with them picks and them shovels, you'd think it was 120 degrees. Can't be more than 114. <laughs> Dock that chink a day's pay for napping on the job. Yes, sir. Hey, 117, and you're lollygagging, but you see that the people are working. That is a direct. When did you say that the railroads were built 1866, right? That's 11 <laughs> years from them trying to say that American blacks were inept and should be put back in slavery, but we built the railroad starting a year after slavery ended, even before we got the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment. You got to be able to put this into context, into a context to understand what you're doing, what you're seeing. This is the mentality of the people who wrote that legislation, who put it in. This is their mentality. So listen closely now. Now come on, boys. Where's your spirit? I don't hear no singing. When you were slaves, you sang like birds. Come on, how about a good old nigger work song? I get no kick from champagne. Mere alcohol doesn't thrill me at all. So tell me why should it be true that I get a belt out of you? Some get a kick from cocaine. It is my 
favorite <laughs> intro to oh. a movie ever. It tells it's in so it, it's in the context and it brings so much truth. We have aligned all these years for you people. This is 1866, 11 years before they passed legislation to put black people back into the slip because they saw they helped build the railroad. They built the railroad east and west. The people who could not take the heat, they fainted. Who were the people who couldn't take the heat? You will never be able to find another group of people that can do what we can do. So it's best to just be fair because everybody else is going to be treasonous and trying to trade off on you, but it's okay. We got a phone call. 612. 612, you're on the air. 612, are you there? 612. Yes, I can hear you now. What's going on, 612? Yeah, sorry about that. Okay, you need to... Okay, wait, 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 wait. Your wind, your wind is cutting out the phone. Can you go somewhere where there's no wind? Because it's cutting you out, and I'm trying to hear what you got to say. Can you hear me out? I can hear you now. Let's try that. Okay. No, I'm just going to ask because when I hear people bring up these racial discussions and talk about some issues in America, I always wonder when people in 2020 talk about the things that happened in the past, is there any appreciation for the country we have now? Like, do you appreciate the fact that you live in America? Or does it like, do you view America as negative? I don't know, man. I, I think coming from a group of people who actually built it and didn't get repair for what was done. We appreciate America, but we don't appreciate America, appreciate America to the extent that someone who is coming in who is new, it's like if you go to a new city and you say, oh man, this looks nice, but you stay there for about five years, you say, oh, this is the same old humdrum, humdrum. We need something new. For people who have immigrated in, right, who have taken or have been given all of the set-asides that were supposed to be given to the American black man and American black woman, their opinion, well, we could hear your opinion because you said that you're an immigrant, if I'm not mistaken, you said you immigrated here, but your opinion to why we say what we say in the tradition of great patriots of America is not really an opinion, an opinion that is valid because you have either not studied that words and speech and great oratory and black oratory in particular move the needle towards justice. And if you don't realize that it's because you haven't been here and you haven't studied the conditions of the American black. Now I'll let you respond. Oh, I have. Oh, this right back, I have. And uh, I've, I've lived here since I was two. So I've technically been in all that 33 now. And I've traveled around the country and traveled around the world. And what I noticed is that, is that when people who live, let's say, I don't know how old you are, but let's say people under the age of 50, who haven't really gone through the stuff that people went through in the past. This comes from knowing what people went through back then. 
and they don't know what it's like for most people on the planet today. They have no idea what the majority of seven billion people on Earth live like. The standard of living they have, <clears throat> the amount or not or lack of amount of food they have, the lack of rights, the lack of freedom, the lack of opportunity. It blows me away when Americans in 2020 speak of themselves, not talking about what people did in the 1800s, 1900s. I'm talking about people right now speak of themselves as a threat, as having it bad. And it amazes me in a country where you have fat people, poor people that are fat. You got people that are supposed to be poor in America walking out at 300 pounds, calling themselves a threat. It is a shame and a travesty to the human race. Okay, what, what's your name? What, what, what's your name? You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't know how, how no, no. What, 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 what's your, what, what's your name? Your lack of appreciation. No, no, wait, wait. We're, not, we're not arguing. We're not arguing. I just need to. I just need to know your name. What's your name? Robert. Robert. Okay, Robert. Listen, this is what we talk about all the time. If you come from a place where there's mud huts, or you come from a place where there aren't paved roads. You will come to America and think and you will see the projects and you say, oh, this is brick and mortar, paved roads. This is what it is. This is the place to be. If you come from an impoverished place, listen, let me tell you something. No matter what you believe or what you think, poverty is poverty. No matter if it's dressed in brick and mortar or if it's dressed in mud huts, and when people realize that who are immigrants, because once you stay here a few generations, they're going to be trying to chop your neck like they're trying to do American blacks because we are the uh, their original sin, which was bringing us over here. Only 388,000 came, which meant that there were people already here. Right. So that your your opinion on it is it's valid for you but it's not valid for us because you haven't lived enough of it to know it and you can travel across the world but if you don't have the humanism or the human thought that poverty is poverty no matter how it's masked and that's what it is and so that's it. Call back no, again. Call, we got to go because we got we got limited show. Thanks for calling in, Robert. Listen, poverty is poverty no matter how it's masked. And if you look at it that way, you are totally disjointed from the context of black uh, diaspora or even African diaspora or even Pan-Africanism which we studied because it was us who pushed for the immigrant to come over in the first place then the whites passed a law in 1965 and made it so that you could have all the rights that we had to get three separate bills from then we had to keep on fighting and they're giving you everything and it's it's cool, but it's not cool. So people, this has been enough because we just ran out of time. But this, and I want to take that phone call. I want to thank my sister Tanya. We might do a part two of this, but we'd like to thank you for watching another jam-packed episode of hashtag TFR Podcast Live OB by Crazy D with my special guest host, my sister Tanya M. Congress. We will see you again tomorrow. We come on Monday through Friday, 9.30 a.m. Pacific, 12.30 p.m. Eastern.
and we will see you again tomorrow. There's nothing about your movie why I made the curator's pick of the Hollywood Fringe Festival.